I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teacher's Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teacher's Caucus is now in session. I'm Sean Sheehan, and with me as always is Rodney Robinson. Rodney, question for you. You ever been down to South Carolina? I've been to Myrtle Beach as a high schooler and as a band trip. I also went back in college, and it's a unique place, I'll say that. It's definitely the South, but at the same time, you can find pockets of joy you know, in in South Carolina and Myrtle Beach. If you if you're with the right people, you can always have fun. You there know, you especially go. in South Carolina. There's a lot of good folks down there. Now I haven't been about, and from a, a West Coast kid perspective, I always kind of group like Virginia and the Carolinas and Georgia as the same, not knowing, right? So not and I've been to Georgia and I've been to Virginia, but somehow I skipped both Carolinas. I, not intentionally, so I'm not dodging it. I just Hadn't made it down there. And so I'm excited tonight. We had to bring in an expert. I know her as the 2020 South Carolina Teacher of the Year, Shonda Jefferson. Shonda, welcome to the Teachers Caucus. How are you doing today? Hey, y'all. Hey, Sean. Hey, Rodney. I am great. Super excited to join you on your show tonight. And Rodney, you haven't been to Charleston, South Carolina. That is like the most historic place in the U.S. You guys have to get down there. So um, that is the place to go um, if you're interested in learning about some history uh, of the United States. But super excited to be here uh, to talk to you guys and um, just to talk about some teacher and education things on the show. I just want to add, I've had two trips planned to Charleston, South Carolina, and both times (laughs) something happened and just actually one time the teacher of the year thing happened, which, you know, (laughs) took off. But then other time I had a trip planned and it just didn't work out. But Trust me, I'm a foodie as well, so I got to get to Charleston, South Carolina. History and food. I mean, what a better place to be. It's the largest slave port um, in North America. So about 50% or 40% of African-Americans that are here potentially entered through that space in Sullivan's Island and Gadsden's Wharf. Um, In 2022, um, hopefully this year, they'll be opening the um, International African-American History Museum so that we can learn more about the African diaspora. So look out for that and hit up Charleston to learn about your roots. Well, so let's get into it. Shana, before we do, please introduce yourself to our listeners. All right. So, hey, everybody. My name is Shonda Jefferson. And as Sean mentioned, I am the 2020 South Carolina Teacher of the Year. I have been an educator in South Carolina for over 11 years teaching STEM, um, biology, life sciences, and all of those uh, science courses. Absolutely love engaging students um, in that space. When I was the state teacher of the year, I served as a voice and an advocate for 55,000 teachers in the state. And I had a goal of visiting every uh, county in our state, but COVID cut my trip short. So I made it about to about 50 percent. And then uh, in 2021, I was named an Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellow. So that brought me up to Washington, D.C., where I'm working on Capitol Hill with a member of Congress. Um, as like a legislative aide informing educational policy and working just in a number of areas and issue areas uh, in Washington, D.C. So it's been quite a time to be here. And uh, this is like my second
second year up on the hill. Absolutely loving it and being able to use my teacher voice uh, to make a difference in policy. And that's one thing that I tried to share with teachers as I traveled throughout the state of South Carolina, the importance of raising your teacher voice and being an advocate for their profession. Has it, this is your second year, you said, so is it more accessible and open this time around than it was the previous year? Or is it about the same because of COVID Um, protocols is what I'm talking about? Well, when I came up to the Hill and or to work in the House of Representatives in 2021, and one of my offices, when we started out, we were actually in the office a lot. Um, So I was able to meet Uh, many of the legislative staffers and everything like that. But when COVID spiked, that's when, you know, we went back home. So right now with Omicron, I am currently working from home. Um, Sometimes we go in the office like once a week, but uh, my member ended up getting COVID while he was working in the office. And they were like, you know, we probably need to go home for a little while. So, yeah, we've been working from home just to keep up with the safety precautions, but uh, still having the opportunity to network and do a lot of good work in this space. Good. Do you feel that in that space that because you are South Carolina Teacher of the Year, that lawmakers and legislators are more open to taking your advice because we know sometimes people just want to ignore teachers, but you have a a little bit of of award and celebrity behind you. Do you feel that you have a bigger voice or that they listen more? Uh, Absolutely. I absolutely love my current office um, because my member is a champion for um, teacher issues and educator issues. So um, I've been able to take the lead on several projects, one in particular where I was able to just listen to the experiences of the National Teachers of the Year across the entire nation and the territories to talk about their experience during COVID-19 and um, to share, you know, what it's been like for them um, as a teacher, what it's been like for their students and how it has impacted uh, mental health uh, during this time period. So um, my member, he loves having teachers on his staff and we have, he works closely with us and my mentor and the legislative team um, to, to work with us to actually uh, form and create some meaningful policy while he has us. So he um, uses the educators on his staff, um, their expertise to help shape policy. Now, from a federal perspective, we had a great state-level perspective on mental health from Cindy Jensen early in in our recordings. And so tell me from kind of the federal perspective, are are we making progress in that space or or no? What are your your thoughts? Um, I definitely think that we're making progress uh, in the space of mental health. And the reason that I say that is because of several of the organizations that have got gotten together. And in particular, I know back in October, the Children's Hospital Association declared a mental health emergency for um, children right now during the pandemic. And I do want to throw out a few statistics that they put together. Um, Prior to COVID-19, they said one in five U.S. children experience a mental health condition in a given year. Um, And 53 percent of adults with children in their households say 
that they are concerned about the mental health state of children. And another one, you know, which was very alarming to me, a 60 a 60 percent um, increase in the suicide rate of um, individuals that are 10 to 24. And this is highly affecting our black youth as well. So the suicide rate among black youth and black young adults is at an all time high. And that is the only race and ethnicity where this statistic is steadily increasing. So I'm super grateful for the organizations that have, you know, raised awareness about this and the members of Congress that are, you know, asking for, you know, making sure that we have investments to help out with this mental health uh, crisis because it's not getting better. Um, students are still experiencing the school stress, um, the the social isolation, um, family members that have passed away. And we know that COVID-19 has affected black and brown families at a, at a higher rate. Um, so, you know, the students are dealing with this. So I'm so happy that there are organizations out there that are raising awareness about these issues and that members of Congress, like these organizations are saying, hey, look at this issues and what policies can you um, make and create to address this? So what policy would you do you think is really important that you would like to see Congress take more action upon? It's easy to just say, here's money, but what's something that they could do? Or that you think would you would push? Yeah. Um, so I can tell you one of the bills that my member um, promotes is the Comprehensive Mental Health in Schools Pilot Program. And basically what that would do is ensure that schools would have access to funding for mental health programs. And um, specifically, it would direct the Secretary of Education to establish a four-year grant program um, authorized at $20 million to help uh, schools with predominantly low-income students address mental and behavior well-being of students. And it also says, you know, let's put an end to these punitive disciplinary practices. I know y'all know about this. This mm. is something we were screaming prior to the pandemic. Yes. And go to more of a restorative model so that students are able to express themselves and talk through some of the issues and also utilize their voices and their wisdom and their experiences to help shape what is happening um, within the school. So that's one um, bill that I've been sharing with the National Teacher of the Year community um, and everyone that I talk to about, you know, we really need uh, comprehensive plans. And it not only says, you know, let's create this plan, but it also says, let's make sure we have some benchmarking and checks checks throughout the implementation process to make sure that it's working. And if not, let's go back and monitor and adjust. So I know there are several um, bills out there to address mental health in our students. But one thing or one area that I think we might be missing is really focusing on our teachers and dealing with the compassion fatigue and dealing with the secondary trauma after holding that listening session um you know the consensus is that teachers are tired they're burnt out they're weary they're absorbing what the students bring in every day the trauma the heartbreak 
and it's affecting them. So I tell the teachers all the time, you know, you can't pour into somebody from an empty cup. So we need to make sure that we have policy that takes care of our teachers um, as well. So I'm hoping that that's something that we'll be able to see uh, in the future, in the near future. That That is amazing. It's amazing that it took a pandemic for some people to say, hey, wait a minute, we should change our discipline policies in schools because they're just contributing to the actual stress and th- things that kids are going through in the pandemic. Right now in Virginia, I watched the the education subcommittee and they're going in the opposite direction. They're going back to the automatic reporting and bringing law enforcement back into schools. And it's really, it's just disappointing because we know what works. We know that mental health support on the front end fixes so many things that law enforcement has to deal with on the back end. And to be in a state that's actually having the discussion, and it's a bipartisan discussion. This, is, this isn't just one side, but to see us regressing and going back to those policies that harm students, and particularly students of color, during a global pandemic is, is just very disheartening to me. Yeah, I'm so happy that you brought that up because, you know, it's a comparison to what I said about the incidents of suicide that are going up and within our black children and our young adults. Like if you see these statistics, what are we doing about it? If restorative practices is something that could help um, in this, it's a matter of life and death. So we have to act now, um, this is we should move forward with a sense of urgency to figure out solutions to this because it's not cool um, for our kids to be dying. Um, and it's, it's really heartbreaking uh, in that sense. So um, one thing that I, I would like to bring out as well, and I mentioned this in a, another panel discussion, is that, you know, the pandemic did change some things. And Rodney, I might have heard you even talk about this before. Um some kids benefited from being in virtual learning environments, right? And I said, you know, let's look at some of the numbers that decrease, and that was actually a positive thing. I was like, I bet you the suspension rate of our black and brown students or students of color decreased, you know, because they were online and you can't kick them out of school if they were on a computer. So how can we go back into a system, (laughs) right, into a, a new system when they're going back into school to make sure they're not continuing Continue, continuing to push those students out. So, you know, that was one of the statistics. I was like, if this, if we saw a decline and it was for the better, you know, how can we reimagine or recreate or um, create some sort of transformed system to help out these students? Exactly. And then there's a trauma of now going back into a building where you're being over-policed, over-disciplined. And so all the progress that you've made is now back to normal, but now kids are even more traumatized because I saw what it was like. I had the self-actualization you know, actualization of saying education can be a great experience. Now I'm back in the school. I'm back to being over-disciplined. I'm back to being you know, sent to the office because I'm a little agitated. And so it's so much going on right now. And I think this pandemic presents an opportunity for us to transform mental health for young black and brown boys and girls. But unfortunately, some people just don't see it that way. And it's very disappointing on our end to see that. 
but I'm glad the yeah. federal government understands. Right. And Shana, I have a two-part question for you. One, could you um, like lift up some of the organizations who are doing the work that you've seen? You know, We want to call them by their names so that folks can can look at them and get involved. And then two, have you seen any particularly successful programs being implemented either at the school level or the district level? Um, to answer, let me focus just specifically on the educator wellness. Are you aware of anyone that's doing work that's like, hey, that's that's different, that's helpful? Uh, for example, Sydney had kind of told us about um, the accessibility for mental health resources for teachers and that they were coming at no cost. Like they were folded into your benefits plan, which was new because previously you had to pay for that. But now they were set. It was like a set number, if I recall. I think she was saying you'd have like two or three appointments. Your first two or three were completely covered. And then after that, it was kind of uh, tiered, I recall. But tell us about the organizations doing the work and tell us uh, if you what programs you're aware of. Yeah, certainly. So the organization that I mentioned that um, pretty much sent out this uh, nationwide mental health emergency and just brought it to everyone's awareness was the Children's Hospital Association. Um, then we have the American Psychological Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, National Alliance on Mental Health Illness in California, uh, Committee for Children, collaboration of academy or collaboration for academic social and emotional learning and there are several others as well that joined in uh, with the uh, mental health emergency so i would just recommend for anybody just to google that and the three organizations that took the lead on that will um, pop up and as far as programs to help with uh, educator mental health um, after hearing uh, the teachers discussed this uh, back in October. One program that comes to mind, I can't remember the name of it, but I can tell you that the service that it offered uh, were kind of like community schools that have these wraparound services uh, where services were able to come to the school um, for teachers um, if they and students if they had the op if they needed to talk to somebody about mental health or some of the traumas or anything that they were dealing with so instead of you know teachers having to go out to someone making it available throughout the school day um, that's something that uh, educators mentioned that would be helpful and then um, I've been doing a lot of research on broadband uh, as well we know that in rural areas and we know the digital vibe is something that came up. But whenever we um, have a solution to solve some of these broadband issues, how we can uh, tap into telehealth. So if, you know, you could go to a room and sit on a computer and log in and talk to a mental health professional. So utilize some of these um, strategies that we use to connect with our students during the pandemic to also help our educators deal with some of the issues and the problems and um, the problems that they're dealing with during the pandemic. So um, tapping into how can we bring mental health professionals um, into schools uh, and how can we tap into uh, the telehealth component as well? That'll be very beneficial. But I, I guess the major thing, Sean and Rodney, that we see is just the shortage um, in that area. And I, I will ask you guys, what do you guys think? How can we um, deal with the shortage of mental health professionals uh, right now uh, across the U.S. And, and probably across the globe because there's a high demand for them right now. Um, 
that that's something that I've been really thinking about and considering, okay, what policy or what uh, actions can we t- put in place to help um, help bring more people into that profession? One of the things we can always do is front-end it. And what I mean by front-end it is say, if you want to go to college, if you want to do this and major in mental health and you're willing to work in these communities that lack mental health professionals, we will not only pay your salary when you get there, but we will pay for your degree. I think it's so disheartening that we consistently say, hey, come do this with the promise of we're going to forgive your loans, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Why not just say, hey, we got you? From day one, it's taken mm-hmm. care of. You promise to fulfill your end on the back end. It's always the government promising to do to do their end on the back end. No, yeah. the government should take care of it, and people should have to fulfill their service contract with the government on the back end. I think that would really not only give us more educators, more mental health professionals, just really change the game if we could make college more affordable and actually pay for the things we need. I mean, we're we're paying for all these fighter jets and <laughs> and just different things in the in the military. Think about if we just took all that money and just provided scholarships to students who are interested in That's being right. a mental health professional and and what I find often is that those who come from a background where mental health has helped them are the ones that are more likely to go into that field to help others. And so I really think we need to invest in it on the front end. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, we teachers say let teachers teach. Well, let counselor let counselors counsel, right? So we got a bill that we ran last session where eighty percent of a counselor's uh, workday should consist of actually providing guidance and counseling to students. But if a district was unable to meet that, then they would just have to like just kind of write up a reason as to like why (laughs) and it's like yeah no surprise uh they're spending all their time on administering and proctoring tests and assessments and uh you know like i i can't what comes top of mind is like the counselor is always running point on like the pd so it's like hey stop by during your plan today or tomorrow so we can walk you through the state level protocols what's changed what's new that's time spent not with kids and their needs, right? And so we've got to find a way to take stuff off of... We've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about taking stuff off the plates for teachers, but we got to take some stuff off the plates for counselors as well so that when yeah. the kid, when there are issues popping up and a kid is looking at suspension, those sorts of things, they've got to be able to be available and not be... One, right now, probably covering a class, and then two, probably doing any number of other duties that aren't related to directly providing assistance and guidance to students. So whatever we can do to alleviate um, some of their needs, because I I know that they're having to do just so much more reporting than they used to. I mean, they're tracking everything. And and some of the things you have to track, right? You've got to, when it comes to like, uh, I mean, literally like human trafficking things or, or, you know, instances of child abuse, there's those. I'm not saying get rid of those reporting. I'm saying, are are there some other kind of goofy stuff where you can, you need to provide funds so that we can have folks on campuses who strictly are are chasing down like attendance issues, right? So like I know counselors, sometimes they're having to, well, they'll be the contacts where like, listen, Johnny's missed, you know, 28 of the last 30 class periods. Say, somebody else can do that. That's not like a counselor doesn't need to be doing that. They need to prioritize the students on the campus. Yes. And think about this 
um, Sean, as you mentioned, where counselors are able to prioritize counseling students and psychologists. If our students, you know, first of all, if we have them in the schools at, at our students, they're available to our students at all times. If our students begin to have great experiences with these counselors and say, you know, this counselor is the person that saved my life. It, they prevented me from, you know, when I was having thoughts of suicide, they made me rethink the importance of my life and gave me hope. That helps create the next generation of young professionals going into um, the mental health profession. So, you know, it would be like a, a cause and effect relationship just if we have more students having that positive experience. And it can help with destigmatizing um, the mental health, you know, or seeking a mental health professional if you're going through something. And I know that we're not there yet, but I know February's theme for Black History Month is focusing on health and wellness. Uh, that's the theme for Black History Month. And I think, I hope that this will be a part of the cosm uh, the conversation, destigmatizing um mental health in the black community and making sure that individuals know that it's okay to seek help. And as they understand, as they seek help and reap the benefits of these services, it will prompt more people of color. It will prompt just more individuals, period, to go into this profession where they're able to, you know, help someone work through their issues, work through their trauma, unpack um, their adverse childhood experiences so that they can be more productive citizens and uh, thrive and be successful uh, in life. So that's something to think about. You know, how can we get them in there so that kids can have these positive experiences with these counselors and uh, mental health professionals so that they'll, you know, be um, driven to um, take part in these careers? Absolutely. I agree 100%. We need, we need more account more counseling of our students by our counselors, our trained professionals, you know. And so, Shonda, when you came on, you hit us with the big, hey, y'all, you know, you took it back to South Carolina a little bit. So tell us a little bit right now, what is this latest in education in South Carolina? Um. Well, I mean, we have a lot of issues uh, going on in South Carolina right now. But uh, one of the things that I would like to highlight uh, for my community is that our superintendent announced that this is her last term. And at the end of um, her term, and I think it's 2023, I could be wrong, but at the end of her term, uh, we'll be electing a new superintendent. So um, that is the news. That is the word uh, that is out. So I'm looking forward to see some of the candidates that, you know, come forward or people that announce their candidacy for uh, state superintendent of education. And I hope that some educators, you know, with uh, great experiences that are looking um, to make positive change in our state uh, will come forward. Um, people that love teachers, love hearing uh, their voices, um, and that will include them in some of the decisions and the policies that they created. The State Department of Education um, will be our um, candidate. So I look forward to just keeping track of the 
candidate announcements and following and learning about the new candidates priorities because this is important um, to us and to the future of each student and the future of education across the state of South Carolina. So I'll be tracking that. Did you just say you're throwing your hat in the ring and running for a state superintendent of South Carolina? Is that what you just said? Um, I did not say that. <laughs> but I will be rooting for someone who does put their name out there um, that cares about doing what's right for kids, doing what's right for parents and teachers and community, especially um, our historically underserved and marginalized communities, because we have those. There are a lot of um, disparities across our state that I'm hoping that, you know, this next person will focus on um, getting solution to those issues and problems. Yeah. So you just described yourself, right? Uh, that's what I heard. I heard we needed a con- really? campaign contribution. We got the Rodney. I got the checkbook ready for you, Shonda. Yep. Really, Rodney? First. Really, Sean? The Teachers Caucus podcast. We're breaking political news on, on, on the fly. You like, heard it here you first. first. <laughs> you guys. All right, no, we'll give you, y'all did not hear that. We'll give you a couple <laughs> years. We'll give you a couple years. We know yes, your dedication give me some time. to South give me some time. Y'all know I love my state and I will come. I represent it when I talk. I was like, oh, you will get the authentic Shonda. I'm always going to jump on with the hey, y'all, or what's up, um, and let you know exactly where I'm from Beach Island, South Carolina. There we go. Home of <laughs> the godfather of soul, um, James Brown. So if you don't know anything else about Beach Island, I'm just going to put him on the map real quick. That's who we're known for. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Shonda, give us uh, give us some homework for our teachers caucus listeners. What do you got for them? Um, homework for the teacher caucus listeners. Um, one thing I, I would say that keeps me going in education is my noble goal, and that is uh, to give access and opportunity to all students, um, regardless of their ec- socioeconomic background. Um, their race, and just making sure they have access to, to opportunities and sharing those things. So I would just uh, ask the teachers, number one, to uh, study up on this uh, mental health crisis that's happening right now across the United States. And if it's uh, something that's affecting your community, reach out to some of these organizations for solutions and be a part of the change that you want to see um, each day. And if you're seeing something within your community that's unjust or that's not right, I would encourage our teachers to uh, just take action. And I do want to leave with a quote, one of my favorite quotes by Malcolm X. And, you know, just leave our teachers this quote to ponder upon. And he says, I'm for truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it is for or against. I am a human being first and foremost, and as such, I'm for whoever and whatever benefits humanity as a whole. So what in your work, um, how are you in your work doing something to benefit um, humanity as a whole? Well, that was homework. That was the extra credit. Just say, how are you doing your work to benefit humanity as a whole? You quoted my t-shirt, which I lost during my move, but I had that exact quote 
with Malcolm X on a T-shirt. And so that that's one of my favorite quotes as well, but it really strikes a chord. And, you know, I want to thank you for just being such a servant, not only to the nation, but specifically to your state of South Carolina. You know, I, I understand, first of all, I understand what it means to be a black woman in STEM for just talking to so many people and just getting their experience, then being a black woman in STEM in South Carolina, which adds an additional layer to it. And so I truly, truly want to thank you for your service to not only the nation, but to South Carolina. I really, really, truly want people to understand the roles that you have and that there aren't many people with your background in your role. And I truly, truly want to, appre- want to appreciate you, give you your flowers, and thank you for all that you do. I love y'all. Thank y'all so much <laughs> for having me. Like, that is so real. I, I really do love y'all. And thank you for sh- supporting me um, through my journey. Sean and Rodney, both of you, I have a co- had a conversation with you both since I've been up in D.C. Um, and it's so meaningful to have uh, wonderful educators, brothers, you know, someone there to just be a sounding board um, while we're going through certain situations. So I appreciate you all. And thank you um, for hosting this wonderful podcast, The Teacher's Caucus. We appreciate you. I'll leave it there. This meeting of The Teacher's Caucus is now adjourned. 